Well, welcome again. My name is David. I, I go by DC, and I serve on the pastoral, uh, pastoral team, and I have uh, the privilege of sharing God's word with us today. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we launched uh, a new series uh, in the book of Acts titled The Spirit-Filled Church, and uh, this series is another building block to our year-long pursuit of what it means to be a church that is empowered and enlivened by the Spirit. You know, we believe, as Christians, we believe in one God exists, existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, all three equally God, but in their persons have distinct roles in both creation and in salvation. So God the Father, he's the one who plans salvation. Uh, God the Son, Jesus, is the one who accomplishes salvation by going to the cross. And the Holy Spirit, right, God the Spirit is the one who actualizes or applies that grace into our lives, enabling us to live into that new identity as God's children. And so throughout, if you grew up in the church, you hear a lot about the Father, you hear a lot about the Son, but the Holy Spirit is often neglected. And actually, this is to our disadvantage. Uh, what we need more than ever is the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Uh, because it is through the ministry of the Spirit we can be more certain of God's love for us, where we can be freed from our fears and anxieties, grow out of bad habits and to form new and healthy ones, to experience fruitfulness in our personal lives but also in our relationships. And the Holy Spirit endeavors to help us in these things. You know, it's crazy. Jesus told his disciples, his closest friends, it's better for me to leave you because once I leave you, the Spirit will come inside you, right? So it's better to have the Spirit in you than to have Jesus besides you. And that's a crazy thing to think about. But for this year and for the years to come, we as a community want to understand what Jesus meant by that. To actually, in real tangible ways, experience the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has the power uh, to help us to forgive. The Spirit has the power to help us overcome addictions, to mend wounds, to experience radical generosity and compassion, to thrive in our marriage and in our parenting. See, all these amazing realities are accessible if we would make room and open ourselves to the Spirit's work. The reason why I'm excited for us to go through the book of Acts is because the book of Acts records the Spirit's activities in and through the apostles and through the church. We can actually track the activity of what the Holy Spirit's all about. And so although our time here in L.A., place and culture is different, because the Spirit is God, the Spirit does not change. And what this means is that we can expect the Spirit to move and act in this community in the same way that he did in the first century. And so last week, we saw the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to his disciples. He told his disciples to wait before uh, going out and doing the mission. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the Spirit did. The Spirit came upon the disciples like tongues of fire. And something amazing happened. The disciples started to speak a language that was not their own. And others around them understood what they were saying. And, and people were filled with awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. And this event was called Pentecost. And so today, what we're going to look at, our passage today, is what followed Pentecost. And so if you have Bibles, please turn with me to Acts 2, and we'll read verses 42 to 47. I'll be reading from the NIV. 
Uh, should go up on the screen behind me for you to follow along. Let's give our full attention as I read God's word for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is God's word. Amen. just want to say a quick prayer for us. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you into this place. I pray that you would use me as just the mouthpiece of your truth. I ask that you would work in powerful ways in our lives. Open up our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us. We're desperate for you. We need you to work. So Lord, we invite you into this place. We give you all the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, any, anyone that's a fan of baked goods or even donuts, they all know that you need to go at the beginning of the day. Right? You don't want to wait until the end because by that time, it's going to be all stale, right? Uh, the frosting, the sugar is going to be all hardened. You need to go right when they come out of the oven to enjoy it at the highest level. Uh, today, we have something uh, of a treat in a sense because we have an opportunity to look at what the Holy Spirit does. The, the, the disciples had a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit And immediately what followed is a thing that we can experience together. We get a taste, we get a see, we get a hear, and we get a smell what the Spirit produced in these disciples and how they faithfully obeyed Jesus' command. You know, the Pentecost was an amazing event, but we shouldn't get too caught up in trying to figure out everything that was happening there. Because the Pentecost wasn't the mission that Jesus gave to the disciples. The Pentecost was simply a catalyst to the mission, right, that Jesus gave to his disciples, right? The purpose of the Spirit was for the Jesus, for Jesus' followers to carry out the mission that he set before them. And so it's like marriage, right? You don't just get caught up in the wedding day because actually what happens after the ceremony is what matters the most to a married couple. And in the same way, what followed Pentecost is actually what we should be interested in. How did these newly spirit-filled disciples carry out Jesus' mission? What did the Spirit enable and lead them to do? And this is what should be our primary interest because we want to track what the Spirit's about and what the Spirit produces. And what we'll notice is that it wasn't a crusade. It wasn't a major political campaign that they were trying to rally up for. It wasn't a traveling revival. It was none of these things. It was so basic and ordinary what the disciples did. What came out of Pentecost was a formation of a local community built on the foundation of the gospel. The Spirit empowered disciples' obedience to the Great Commission to form in building the local church on the foundation of Jesus. 2,000 years later, we are a fruit, right? We're one of the fruits of that labor and their obedience. And we are a continuation of that mission today. 
And so it's in these early beginnings we see the characteristic and the trademarks of the Holy Spirit. And so what are they? You know, we didn't read it, but what followed right after Pentecost was Peter getting up and he preached a sermon. And this is uh, no small feat. Right? The same impulsive Peter who, once, who one second Jesus celebrated and the next second rebuked. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times. The same Peter who was hiding with the rest of his friends, afraid of his life. This Peter gets up and boldly proclaims the gospel message. And how was the sermon? How did it go? You know, in seminary, we get our final exam in, in our preaching class is we get our sermon graded. If I was to take the, uh, my professor's rubric and grade Peter's sermon, I'll probably give it a, maybe a C plus. It was kind of like an eh kind of sermon, right? No funny jokes, no insightful illustration. What he does, he reads a couple Old Testament passages, and then he proceeds to call out everyone and their part in Jesus' crucifixion, saying that you're responsible for killing Jesus. This was his sermon. Right? If I was one of the other disciples listening to the sermon, I would have quickly taken the mic out of his hand and say, yo, you're killing the vibe. We just had Pentecost. Is, shouldn't we try to like, increase our followership and, and raise our brand? We don't want to kill it. What happens after Peter preaches this sermon? 3,000 people repent of their sins and they get baptized. Amazing. It's quite astonishing what happens in Acts 2. All the disciples were afraid for their lives and they rightfully so. The teacher that they were following, their friend got crucified for the message that he is the son of God. But now they're here out in public with Peter proclaiming the same message that Jesus got himself killed from. And, but this is what the Spirit does. He changes us. He changes our natural disposition, our impulses. Fears subside. We are emboldened. And he aids us to speak the truth. Peter was well aware of the danger and the risk that he was taking when he preached the sermon. But he preached it anyway. Another thing about the Holy Spirit, another name that the Spirit has is the Spirit of Truth. So if the Spirit is in us, we can't lie. We have to tell the truth, and that's what Peter does. And this message of the gospel is offensive. It's offensive. There's no way around it. Because the gospel tells you, you're not okay. You're not okay. You actually need someone to rescue you. Someone needs to come and save you. And this is so hard for us to proclaim, especially in our time. The message of repentance, to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, is such a turnoff. And oftentimes, the church tries to find ways to make the gospel message a little bit more palatable. Because it's not an easy word. But if you think about it, gospel, what it means is it's good news. But in order for the news to be good, we first need to understand the bad news. And so here's the bad news. God, out of his love and his glory, created everything out of nothing. He created you and me. 
uniquely in his image for the purpose of a relationship. Instead of being in a relationship with him, we rejected him as our God and as our father, and we decided we want to do things on our own, to be our own king, to rule for ourselves. And what that did is brought chaos into this world in every single way. Chaos upon ourselves, nature is hostile towards us, our relationships are broken. It's because we severed ourselves from the source of joy and satisfaction. And now our existence here is we're relentlessly looking for things that can fill this void that we feel with temporary things. And we're always disappointed because nothing that is created can fill this eternal longing that we have that we were created for. And because we all sin, we are guilty. And because we are guilty, we deserve God's judgment. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Because God so loved us, he did not let us remain in our sin and guilt. He sent Jesus as a perfect sacrifice. He lived a life that you and I, we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die, and he paid off the debt that we accrued. And by faith, we can now experience God as our Father once again, reconnected to that source of joy peace, and satisfaction. We have an everlasting gift. We have an internal inheritance that can satisfy our deepest longings. And this is the good news. But we have to understand what the bad news is in order for this news to be good. The Holy Spirit is committed to our transformation, but that transformation comes only from the truth of the gospel. And we see this in Acts 2. And this is why Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. This is what he says. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The power is not in me. The power is not in Pastor Jason or Pastor Nick. It's not in any one of us. The power is in the gospel message that we proclaim. It's not up to us. But when the Spirit fills us, we can't help but utter these truths, even if it is offensive. What happened next? What are some other trademarks of the Holy Spirit? 3,000 people convert. What do they do? Do they uh, have a building campaign? Do they build this mega church, buy land to fill all 3,000 people? No. They broke up into small communities and went into people's homes. Again, this is so profound. This is what the Spirit led the disciples to do. This was the plan to fulfill the Great Commission. The Spirit-empowered disciples helped form and organize these small communities that met in people's homes. What was it like in these communities? I want to share three prominent features of these missional communities or these gospel communities. First feature, they were curious. They were curious to learn. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They took a posture of humble students. Now we have to remember that the people that formed these communities, traditionally they came from a Jewish background. They had culture with them. They had an understanding of the Torah, of temple worship. 
They didn't come into the church with a blank slate, which made this feature even more impressive. They had all this background knowledge, but yet they wanted to learn about Jesus. This is so, like, this is so simple, but I really don't want us to miss this. They wanted to learn together of who Jesus was. They, was, they were eager to learn. And if you think about it, this is such a, a, a characteristic that's so hard to experience right now in our time. Everyone is just telling each other, speaking at each other, trying to school one another. These early Christians came to first listen and learn. And here as citizens, we want to cultivate this feature of curiosity, of learning more about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what, what he was like, what he did. But we also want to extend this curiosity to one another. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different baggage that we bring here. And we want to be curious about each other's lives. There are people here that have been burned by the church, left, and they're coming back. We have people that are here that have grew, grew up, literally grew up in the church. They have all this knowledge of theology and of doctrine. We have some people here who are so skeptical about this, but they're just wanting to learn a little bit more. Like, know that this community is so diverse. And what it's going to take for us to grow, grow together is this attitude of curiosity, this characteristic of curiosity, not just towards God, but towards one another. You know, humility is so hard to find these days. But what we see in this early church, when they came together, they first wanted to learn. Secondly, second feature, they were sacrificial. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. The word for fellowship here is koinonia, and the root word here is koinos, which means common, common. It speaks of a common life, a shared life that one has with others who believe in Jesus. It's this shared faith. You know, what I love about Christianity is that it's not just theoretical. It's not just these abstract spiritual truths. But there are corresponding physical and tangible realities that we're meant to experience. See, the church is a community of people threaded by common grace. And that grace that threads us together transcends our differences. And again... This common life is not just a theory. What do we see them do? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What this meant is the gospel brought people together who were rich and also poor. Now back then, this is not a common social space where rich and poor would hang out together. Usually it was divided. And so what happened is when there was someone in need, the rich would sell their possession to give to those in need. You know, this thread of grace, it's going to be stress test throughout the book of Acts. Because the church continued to grow in its diversity, not just socioeconomically, but ethnically, culturally, 
The church grew diverse. And this thread is going to be tugged at and pulled at in many ways that we experience here as citizens as we're growing. But here as citizens, what we want, what we're striving for is to be an alternative community that defies the world's categories and ideas of what community should look like and how they should operate. That we can be a place where people can disagree at the deepest levels of social, cultural, and even political issues and still sit together and eat together, sacrifice one, for one another, and also be on mission together. That's what we're striving for here. An alternative community that looks different than the divisions that we see in this world. But this is what grace does. What I call a beautiful mess. It's beautiful because it reaches down to the lowest and most broken people, offering forgiveness, redemption, and a new identity. Right? There's a profound freedom and a newness that grace offers every single one of us. But then it also, on the flip side, it creates a mess. Because all the people who answer to this call of grace now make up a new family. And we don't get to choose who our family is. We're all here because of grace. And we're all so different. We have preferences. We have little quirks. And we're all so different. You know, David Benner, a Christian author, this is what he says, and I think it's just so profound. Moving truths such as God loves me from our head to our heart is often difficult. It is possible, but only as we journey with others. The God who is divine community is known only in human community. This is the corresponding reality. Deep knowing of perfect love, just like deep knowing of ourselves, demands that we be in relationships of spiritual friendship. What is, he, what is he talking about? In order for us to truly know God and experience divine community of who he is, we need to be with one another. See, the thing is, we are all works in progress. We are all incomplete. But this community is God's prescription to help us grow to become more like Jesus. Let me say that one more time. The people sitting next to you, this community is God's prescription of how you grow to be more like him. You cannot do it on your own. You know, there is no plan B. There is no plan B for God when it comes to his mission. It is this church. It is the church. It's the local community of believers. There is no plan B. And we are called to embody this grace together. Last feature of the early church. They just enjoyed God. They enjoyed being with God and being with one another. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be like. Eating together, celebrating, laughing, enjoying one another, enjoying God together. It's interesting to note, Christians gathered in two places. The temple and the home. 
the temple and the home. It's interesting because once Jesus died on that cross and rose again, sacrifices were obsolete. It no longer mattered. But the temple provided a place for people to still hear about God's word. And it provided a space for people to fellowship. So they were, they were at the temple, but then they also went into people's homes. And that was revolutionary at this time, especially if you were a Jew. Because worship was almost always associated to the temple, a specific place. And even within the temple, there are spaces designated for specific groups of people. But now you can experience God in the home. And you have to, you have to put yourself there at the temple. There is smoke everywhere. There's smells of burning meat. There's noises of animals crying because of the living sacrifices. Imagine the heaviness of the temple. But now imagine going to someone's home, smelling good food, hearing laughter, and enjoying God's presence there. This was a major shift in how people experienced God and how they worshiped. Something amazing happened when Jesus died on that cross for us. Within the temple, there was a, in the center was the Holy of Holies. And what guarded the Holy of Holies was the temple curtain. When Jesus died, it tore from top to bottom. But this wasn't a normal curtain. It was 30 feet tall and it was four inches wide. And what that signified was access, unlimited access. In Jesus Christ, you can now experience intimacy with God. You don't have to go through all the motions. You don't have to go through all the sacrifices. God is available to you in Jesus Christ. You know, there's a very specific window of time in my day. It's very specific. That's my favorite. It's when I come home from a long day of work. For some reason, my kids always know when I drive in. So even before I can get to the door, I hear from inside, from my girls, Appa's home, which means dad's home. As I open the door, and all three girls are there waiting for me. And, and they greet me, and they hug me. Now, some of you guys may be wondering, how about Deacon, my son? He's in his room playing Roblox, kind of too, too old for that. But I'll take three out of the four. That's a good ratio. Um, but, you know, they come to me simply because I'm home. I don't have any gifts, no, no dessert in my hand. I have nothing. It's just, they just want me home, and they just want to be with me. And it's those 30 seconds that makes my entire day. And I just imagine that, that when it comes to worship, that that's, that's what God wants from his children, just to be with him, just to be with him. When you open up the Bible, it's not about finding, trying to find a hint of, of who you should date or what career path you should take. But when you open up the Bible, it's like, God, I want to know you more for who you are. I just want to know you. When you pray, you're not going with a list of things that you want him to do. In prayer, you just want to be with him, just to rest in his presence. And when you come to church, when you come to church, you just want to experience his love and grace and just to be with others that share the same faith just to be with God. And this is why Jesus came, to get rid of the ulterior motive that religion offers us. 
Now you have to imagine. Imagine the people that worshipped in the temple. If they didn't go, if they didn't offer sacrifices, if they didn't give, what are the consequences? See, religion as a system inherently is self-focused and self-serving. I come to church for this. I go to the temple for this. So who are you really going for? What Jesus did is he fulfilled every requirement of the law. He was perfect. But then he would die for lawbreakers, that's you and me, and he would fulfill all the covenant, uh, covenant requirements. He rose again for you and me so that why? So that why? We can be with God for just being with him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus came, to get rid of the ulterior motive so that we can experience God for who he is. Intimacy. And there was a new kind of attraction that this early church had. God added to their number because they were enjoying God together. You know, a spirit-filled church is a gospel-shaped community where grace threads people from all different walks of life together and continues to rely on that grace to sustain us. In Acts 2, we have a beautiful picture of the church. But remember, a part of that beauty is the mess. In our church, we've experienced tremendous growth ever since we reopened last year. And we're getting more complex. All sorts of people from all different backgrounds are coming and joining our community. If I can just selfishly ask you guys, please pray for Pastor Jason and our staff. We need a lot of wisdom uh, to help us help our church grow in a healthy way and for us to create space for people to experience God's love. I mean, that is our ultimate desire for everyone here to experience Jesus' love. And we need wisdom and, and guidance, so please pray for us. But one thing we need to do all together, every one of us, we need to make room. We need to make room for others. We need to make room for the one who's struggling with depression. We need to make room for the one who has been hurt by the church and can't trust religion. We need to make room for people who have different political and social views. We need to make room for the one struggling with addiction. Make room for those who are grieving and mourning. Make room for those that are flaky and noncommittal. Make room for those that have been traumatized and broken because of relational conflict. We need to make room for all people. Why? Why do we need to do this? It's because Jesus made room for you and me. He invited me, an arrogant, prideful, stubborn, rebellious individual, and he invited me to his table. Jesus went to the least, the marginalized, the poor, the forgotten and abandoned, the hurting, and he made room for them. That's why we're all here. He made room for you. And in turn, we want to extend that same grace in creating space for people from all different walks of life to experience the grace that we've experienced. 
And here's a, a truth that I think can help us journey together. Every, every single individual sitting in these chairs, everyone is being renovated right now by God. We are all being renovated. Our hearts are being renovated. Meaning there are things broken, uh, broken within us that God is wanting to restore. Every one of us, we're broken. And God is in the business of renovating us. Now think about this. If every one of us is a renovation project, should we expect conflict? Should we expect disappointment, frustration, discomfort, awkwardness? Absolutely. That's the whole part of this beautiful mess that we're a part of. No one is complete. And yes, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. Yes, someone's going to turn you off. Yes, there's going to be awkwardness when we're pursuing relationship. But that's the point. Why do we need grace if it's not for this? But here's the thing. This is, this is the problem with L.A. culture and having church at every corner. If you feel discomfort, you can leave. You could find a different community down the street. But I just want to warn you, when you do that, at any hint of discomfort, you are short-circuiting the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Because we are each other's way of, again, growing to be more like Christ. We are each other's triggers. But that's a good thing. Because God wants to expose the broken parts of us through one another. But if you leave... And if you think there's something better out there, you're skipping out on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in, do in you, in this community. But that's, I see that all the time. You know, we have a long journey ahead of us as citizens. We're a young community. There are more collisions to come. Moments of discomfort. But our hope isn't in our ability or our personality to fall back on. Our fallback is grace. Our fallback is repentance, forgiveness, forgiving others, asking for forgiveness. This is what it means to embody the gospel, not just in theory, but actually towards one another, especially when we rub each other the wrong way. The power is in Jesus to shape this community to be gospel-shaped. So practically, what does this mean? We need you. We need you to join us. We need homes to open up. We need people to give their time. We need willing individuals to step up to lead and cultivate these types of smaller communities around L.A. so that we can grow and that we can be an outward-faced community for others to experience and witness the love of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you not just to just Stay on the sidelines, but to get into the game. There is joy to be had. There's glory to be experienced if we would commit ourselves to this grace that God has given to us. So let's do this together. Let's pray. Actually, before I close in prayer, I want to ask you uh, very selfishly, can you pray for our leadership? Can you pray for Pastor Jason and our staff? Uh, there are a lot of things that we're trying to navigate as our church continues to grow. Please ask God for wisdom for us, uh, grace for each other, and um, discernment as we have a lot of important decisions to make. That's number one. Number two, if you can pray 
for this community, for the person sitting on your right and left. Uh, you may not know them, but for some reason, God has brought us together, and he's called us to journey together in community. Uh, so you can intercede on behalf of them. If you don't, if you, even if you don't know who they are, say, God, reveal yourself to them. Spirit, move in their lives. Make real the love of Christ in their lives. You can pray that prayer. So I just want to give you a minute to pray that, and I'll close. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. It's an amazing gift. You pursued us. You long suffered for us. You loved us to the point of death. And you rose again for us. Now you have given us this new identity where we can experience your love, acceptance, and approval not based on anything we've done but even the faith that you've gifted us with that is why we can sit here as your children thank you for this community thank you for this family that you've blessed us with but father we acknowledge that we are still broken there's still so much work to be done in our hearts and our minds to become more like christ we need your help. I just want to pray especially for those that have been hurt by the church. God, I ask that you would help us to be a community, to work through the pain, to work through the discomfort, and to experience in new ways, in real and tangible ways, your grace, your love, your mercy and kindness. And as we continue to grow to be more like Christ, help us to be that witness to this city that we can put the gospel on display for the world to see the goodness of your son Jesus Christ be with us Lord help us Lord to stay in it uh, give us the endurance and persevere to work through the difficult times of being in community with one another and we have confidence Lord that you are molding and shaping us in greater degrees of glory to be more like Jesus. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.